0: Jane says, he was the (laughs) hero captain.
1: Well, I did not know we'd go the Jane's addiction route. Fair play.
0: (laughs) Well, hello and welcome to Keep Em Flying. uh, If you don't know by now, today's episode is Janestown. And along me, along me, whoa, along with me are my cohorts. uh, As you heard laughing there was Mr. Andrew Leyland.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: And to keep us in line is uh, <laughs>
2: Magistrate Sp- Spitaro. How you doing? I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if I can uh, bring my son in to meet Anara. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would be Ooh. the best present ever. You're the best dad ever.
2: My dad gave me a gift like 26. that. I would have been very happy.
0: <laughs> but he's gotta wait. But he's gotta wait till he's 26. I, I think I'd wait.
2: Well worth the time. Yeah,
1: he doesn't have to wait till he's 26, and Ara just has to screen him properly. She can do him at any age. Oh, that man. came out wrong.
2: Whoa. And yet
0: oh so right. <laughs> well, I, uh, since our last recording, uh, I don't think there's any new... Is there any new Firefly news?
2: There I, I hear there's of rumors
0: <laughs> of a reunion, perhaps.
2: Thankfully, nobody, nobody new has passed away since our last recording.
0: <laughs> you don't know in five minutes. Well, you know <laughs> things can happen. So, how you guys been in that quick break we had
1: <laughs> since the last time we've spoke? <laughs> I have been absolutely fantastic. So much has happened. It's hard to know where to begin.
0: I've been tickety like, boo. It was like <laughs> you've been tickety. You are the the American contingent of tickety boo, whereas I am the American contingent of boo tickety. Whatever that is.
1: There's an episode of Red Dwarf that you need to watch where Rimmer says he's tickety-boo. I don't remember which episode oh. it is, but...
0: oh, uh, I've, I've seen almost all of them except like the last few seasons. I don't remember which one that is.
1: It's, I think That's not I'm where he goes sure crazy, is it? I'm, no, I'm sure it's one with um, Ace Rimmer in it. Smoke me a kipper. I'll be back for breakfast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is that the one where he's flying an alligator? Yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> Paul's going, what? What? That's his next Netflix watch. Although he can't, can he, no? Because BBC are going for their oh. own streaming service, aren't they?
2: Yes, so oh, that may not be nice. available any longer. I'm not sure. Hmm. Anyway,
1: we're not a Red Dwarf podcast.
2: Although we true. may eventually be.
1: Yeah, it, it, it has a possibility <laughs> that we'll Stranger be doing shit. this in our Zimmer frames. <laughs> oh, TV was better in my day.
2: But what, what kind of podcast are we? I think we're a Firefly podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: We are.
0: So I guess I, 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 guess I should uh, jump into the episode, fellas?
1: Yeah, yeah. If, we, if we've no Firefly news to discuss, which we don't have because yeah. the show's been dead for 13 years. So
0: there's always that rumor.
1: There's always that rumor.
0: So we'll just jump right in And today's episode Is brought to you by Well, no Today's episode is Janestown Brought to you by Mudder's Milk
2: Mm-mm. <laughs> Very mm. You don't drink that Not the hero of keep them flying <laughs> You drink Mountain Dew Oh,
0: sorry <laughs> Or whiskey
1: Hero of podcasts The man we call Bill <laughs>
0: Oh, that'd be a lot of mud for that statue <laughs>
1: Bring more mud. <laughs> it's a statue you hold in Mountain Dew. <laughs> uh,
0: Jadestown, season one, episode seven. Directed by Martia. Oh, here we go again with names. Martia Grabiak* Thank you. Written by Ben Edland.
1: So Yay, creator of the tick. Really? Yeah.
0: Oh. Original air date, October. 18th 2002 oh i feel so old
1: isn't it a sad stare to her first when 2002 makes you feel old
0: (sighs) yeah yeah ben would have been one almost one he would have been less than one yeah anyway the episode opens with kaylee insisting that the always proper Simon never uses swear words, despite his protestations, that he does whenever they're appropriate. Inar departs for an overnight meeting with a client. Jane attempts to use, uh, use tape to smuggle concealed weapons on the mission against orders, apparently afraid he will be recognized for crimes committed some years back, but is forced to leave them behind. The crew arrive at the factory town of Canton, the hero of Canton, taking on the disguise of buyers of mud, a clay which, when properly treated, becomes a ceramic described as ten times stronger than steel. After talking with the foreman, they enter the town where they find a statue of the hero of Canton, Jane himself, to Jane's shock and puzzlement. It is revealed by a song started by a performer, or Andrew Leyland, <laughs> and taken up I by a cheering crowd. Excellent! <laughs> and taken up by a cheering crowd that Jane is a legend in the town, apparently credited with stealing a large amount of money from the magistrate and dumping it on Canton from the air. Jane attempts to escape, only to be recognized, and finds himself offered the best whiskey and alkalates from all. The smuggling contact is horrified by Mal's supposed idea of quote-unquote lying low, but Mal soon develops a plan around this considerable distraction. While Jane carouses with the admiring locals, (laughs) Mal heads back to Serenity with Walsh and tells Zoe how this unexpected celebration of Jane is actually the cover they need to sneak the merchandise past the foreman and his prods. Inara, meanwhile, meets with the magistrate, who introduces her to his son, Fess. He is disgusted that his son is a virgin, and and has brought Inara to Canton to make a man of him. The magistrate attempts to stay and watch, but Inara manages to get rid of him. She goes on to tell Fess that there is nothing wrong with his being a virgin, and that he should be himself and not his father. On the ship, an agitated river dismantles Shepherd's Book's Bible, insisting that it makes no sense and that she has to fix it. Book manages a calmer and explains that the Bible isn't about making sense in a logical or scientific sense, but rather is about, is about faith that fixes people rather than needing fixing itself. He allows her to keep the pieces of the Bible when she refuses to let them go. Later, she attempts to repair it and return it to him, but panics when she sees his wild head of hair that that he normally keeps in a tight bun. The foreman informs the magistrate that Jane Cobb has returned to Canton. The magistrate then goes to a shed where he releases a man named Stitch from what appears to be four years of solitary confinement, which I got to stop here. And there's no way in hell if he was in there for four years, he's just going to walk out of there. But anyway, <laughs> he gives the man a loaded shotgun and informs him that Jane has returned. Inara, having taken Fess's virginity, prepares to return to the ship. When he expresses puzzlement at not feeling different, she explains to him that being a man is about being old enough to ask what makes him a man rather than about sex. Somewhat later, Enora learns from Fess that Jane is about to be captured and tried, and that the ship has been landlocked. He expresses to her that he would rather help Jane escape. Mal returns to fetch Kaylee and Simon, finding the mechanic draped over him on a couch. Woo-hoo. He tries to explain to Mal how nothing happened, but once again manages to insult the frustrated Kaylee. Collecting a tipsy Jane, they head off, but Kaylee stops Simon in his tracks with her scorn. Nothing worse than a woman scorned. As the doctor eats breakfast alone, Stitch arrives. The scarred criminal brutalizes him in an attempt to locate Jane, but... The roars of an approving crowd outside give away his location instead. Stitch drags Simon along as a hostage to to confront Jane. Stitch confronts Jane in in front of a crowd of Canton citizens. He informs the crowd that Jane and he had stolen the money together and that when they found themselves needing to reduce weight, Jane had thrown his partner overboard rather than jettison the money, then lost the money uh, overboard accidentally. Stitch then attempts to shoot Jane but is foiled when a mutter jumps in front of the gun to protect Jane and is shot and killed. Jane kills Stitch but is unable to understand why the man sacrificed himself to to save Jane even after having learned the truth of Jane's heroism. When the crew reboards Serenity, Walsh attempts to take off but finds the ship landlocked per the magistrate's order. It is quickly re- released, out, however, as Fest has decided to prove himself a man by defying his father's attempt to capture the hero of Canton. Kaylee has a heart-to-heart talk with Simon and briefly makes him worry about his propriety after the previous night's party. In the cargo bay, Jane broods about the mutter's selflessness and how it eats at him despite Stitch's telling them the truth. They probably, they're probably going to put his statue back up. <laughs> Mal attempts to explain to Jane the hero worship isn't about Jane, but about what the townsfolk need. But Jane only replies, "Don't make no sense." So, what did you guys think? It was a nice little, uh, nice little tale of of uh, drunkenness and
2: hero worship. No,
0: no, it was more than that.
2: I, the, the hero I, I like the worship aspect of it. Is what really made it to me. Because, you know, there's always the thought that history isn't accurate. History is written Mm -hmm. to satisfy the person who's writing the history and often, or it's written from the perspective of the person who's writing the history. And if they have to skew things their own way, they do. (laughs) And, and, you know, you, you see it a lot now, even in our own society, where people who were who are lauded as American heroes throughout the years, all of a sudden, you know, people are saying, you know what, he wasn't kind of the nice guy that everybody's presenting him as being, you know, maybe we shouldn't be praising him the way we do. And I, I have mixed feelings about all, you know, all of that because I just, I don't like the fact that history is written wrong in the first place, but I also don't like, you know, we got to change everything now. Uh, I almost well, feel like I we mean, should history, just allow the legends to stand, you know?
0: Well, I mean, you know, history is written by the winners, so, it's one reason why it can be, I don't want to say skewed, but have a slant.
2: Yeah, and may absolutely. not be. And, and I'm sure, compl- you know, like I said, some people who are presented as our American heroes may not be the shining bastions of morality that they're presented as. But at this point, you know mm-hmm. what? We're hundreds of years away from it. Maybe, like I said, maybe we ought to just let the legend stand and not necessarily embrace the negatives of the person, but just kind of move on from them.
1: Uh, I, I think this that's what this one's about. There's a little bit of Robin Hood to it. Um, whereas, you know, perhaps Robin Hood wasn't exactly what he's painted to be, but it's the legend that we respond to. And It's a, what
0: the people needed at yeah, the time.
1: Well, they need, uh, there's an issue of Preacher. The hero that I need, they need. The hero that they need, not the hero that they want. <laughs> there's an issue of Preacher, where the, throughout the entirety of Preacher, Jesse Kurtz's hero is John Wayne. And you can't actually ever see John Wayne because they don't have the likeness rights to him. But somebody writes a letter to the letters page basically saying, you know, John Wayne perhaps wasn't a nice guy, right? And Ennis responds, I don't care what he was like as a person. That's not what Jesse is responding to. Jesse is responding to the persona, the guy who was on screen, the characters that he played. That's who Jesse looks up to as a hero. Because you'll find that real people have feet of clay. They just do. And I think that's what the episode's about. It's about the legend of Jane. It's not about what who he is as a real person. Who he really is, is a fuck-up. <laughs> well, he is, let's be honest. <laughs> I'm not arguing. So I, I think Paul's right. I think sometimes the reason that legends become what they are is because the stories resonate with people. And we need to believe in heroes. We need to believe that somebody stood up for what was right And sometimes if you look into history, maybe they weren't, maybe they just had enlightened self-interest, but it doesn't matter because that's not what we're looking at anymore. We don't want to know that they only stood up for what they believe in, really, because they didn't want to pay more tax. We don't want to know that they stood up for what they believe in, really, because they just didn't like the government or they wanted something more for themselves. We don't want to know that Robin Hood didn't necessarily rob from the rich and give to the poor, maybe just rob from the rich to keep for himself. We don't want to know that. We want to know the legend, and that's what this is about, which is beautifully encapsulated in the end scene, where Mal says, it's not about you, it's about what they needed. And Jane just can't wrap his head around that, because this is a man that's never had heroes. This is a man who lives reality as it is presented in the show. Mm -hmm. This is the man who lives a hand-to-mouth existence. He has to kill sometimes to get himself up in the world. He's never made that one big score. But these Mm -hmm. people look up to him as a hero. And the legend is yeah, what's important.
2: It, to some sorry, extent, sorry, I think it's ahead. almost prescient. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but not that long ago, uh, I think it was Columbus Day. And one of the states, possibly Washington, not D.C., the Washington state – I think that they have, you know, looking into the man's history, said, you know, he's not the hero he was presented as. We're not going to celebrate Columbus Day anymore. We're going to call it such and such day. Uh, and and it's almost like, you know what, I don't mind celebrating the legend of Columbus. We don't really have to celebrate the man. We don't have to celebrate what he really was. Because maybe he was kind of a bastard or maybe there was shit that he did that that was problematic and 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 I don't I don't necessarily want to turn blinders to that type of behavior but maybe Columbus Day doesn't need to be about that you know what I'm saying so I, I'm almost I'm almost sympathizing with the mutters in this situation as opposed to Jane
1: yeah no I, and I think that's the point of the show I think that's the point of the episode that it is about the legend and why legends are important and maybe right, the line, oh. yeah Maybe we're better having ideas with fictional gives, characters.
0: The line that Mal gives, uh, I've, I've got to hear. It. it says, "It's my, my estimation that every man ever got a statue made of him was was one kind of some bitch or another. Ain't about you, Jane. It's about what they need."
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Don't make no sense. I'm
2: okay with that. I don't mind being a little sim- more simplistic in our look of historical heroes. Maybe that's maybe that's being overly naive. Maybe that's turning blinders to things I shouldn't, but that's the way I feel. And, and it, it doesn't mean, like I said, it doesn't mean that I'm saying bad behavior that historical heroes has or have had is acceptable. It means I don't know that we have to focus on that. You know, at least not in this forum. We could focus on that in other ways. We can make sure that behavior, it doesn't, Uh, Go on and a lot of times. I think the behavior that they're being criticized for now is Behavior that was people weren't enlightened enough to realize that it was bad back then You know you talk about oh so-and-so was a slave owner Well, so-and-so was a slave owner in a day where slavery was not. people didn't realize you know They should have realized that how bad it was but they didn't and society kind of accepted it at one time so am I going to say slave, slavery is right? Absolutely not. It's, it's 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 a horrible, horrible thing. But there was a time in our society where it was an accepted practice. So am I going to take every slave owner and say that they were bad people? I don't know that that's the case. In fact, there may have been slave owners who technically owned slaves, but were very, very good to them and treated them like part of the family or whatever. I hope that that was the history in some households. Uh, you know, maybe that's naive again, but Again, I don't know that you have to look at the true nature of everything in in looking back on our history. I do think you have to, you know, make sure that, like I said, the bad behavior isn't repeated. But I don't know that we have to destroy the reputations of our legends.
1: No, I, I often think it's very unfair to judge the past on the standards of the present.
2: Yeah, that, well, that's, that's only- exactly the point that I have what was
1: acceptable you. back then isn't acceptable now. Yeah. But also it it removes how far we've come. Cause it's very easy for a lot of people to to jump on a bandwagon and say that we're still doing this and we're still doing this, but look how far we've come from where we were 20, 30 years ago, let alone a hundred years ago. And if you start applying the standards of today to the past, whenever you make historical things, or whenever you make judgments on people, you're taken away from how far we've moved on as a people. Now, I'm not saying we've moved on far enough, there's still work to be done, but we're, we're much further ahead now than we used to be, and a lot of people want to ignore that for their own agenda, and then when they look at the past, they want to apply those standards for data to that, which is what you were just saying.
2: Yeah, and I think, I mean, to me, I think slavery is, is a good example of it. You know, I don't know anybody who's going to say slavery is a good thing. You know, I mean, it's just pretty much universally reviled at this point in time. But if you go back 200 years, it was considered to be an acceptable practice. So to sit here and say, you know, everybody in society who did that was a bad person because they did that. I don't know that that's true. I think you have to look a little closer into their lives and see how they treated people and how they treated those slaves and how they treated everyone. You know, and, and and it's impossible to look at that at this point. So Yeah,
1: because there's there's no one alive for us to talk to.
2: You know, so so like I said, I, I, I kind of feel like let's leave let's leave our heroes alone, but let's learn from history.
0: And then let's all strive to be like Jane.
1: <laughs> well Jane's problem with it is he doesn't understand that at all. Jane but, is all about himself.
2: And, and the way Jane is presented by the Mudders is a positive for their society. To use him as somebody to prop up and say that he was this beacon of, of uh, wonderfulness, uh, you know, that, that's giving them something to strive towards, is something to, to want to be like. And what's wrong with that?
1: No, and look at how it affects him he starts to buy into his own legend.
2: I love his, his speech to the people. You know, you, you you got a really raw deal here and uh and you took it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> kind of poetic. You know, it, it's
2: or even when when they they all yell out to Jane and he's like to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's some real, you know, real just fun moments in that whole thing and and it like I said, I, I think it it does Reflect on society, which is nice. You know, it's nice when you get these thought-provoking things. So I, I just think it was a really solid episode. The B plot is almost lost in it all. It's not a bad B plot, but it's like uh, you almost don't care about it. Mm. Oh, yeah. with
0: uh, with uh, well, yeah, there, right. well, I mean, well, plus there's the little, I guess, a smaller B plot, maybe the C plot, which is uh, Shepherd Book back on the
2: ship with River. That's that's actually to me that's good. And comic the whole relief. faith,
0: faith versus science discussion.
2: But the, him with his hair, that was co- good comic relief to me.
0: Well, plus he uh, the, he uh, you know he kind of looked uh, like Albert Einstein, <laughs> so going on you know science
2: there. And, yeah, her, she, you know I scared I, the I, crap out of her. <laughs> I liked that B plot. The, the Inara B plot was the one that was almost forgettable. Uh, I like Gregory Itzin as an actor. He's he's kind of a throwback to the character actors always, of the seventies, where he just shows up in all these shows. He and, always plays a slimeball, and he's good at it. What's that? He, he always plays a slimeball,
0: but he's good at it. He yeah, was he, he, he was the
2: he was he was the president in one hate.
0: season of
2: uh, of twenty four. He was in a couple of seasons of um, twenty four, actually. He played the vice president, and then he was eventually became the oh, president. Oh, that's
0: right. He's the vice president.
2: Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, he he was he played a very good slimy character on that. He's been in you know a bunch of different shows, including Star Trek. Uh, he was I think he was in one episode of DS9, and I think he was in an episode of TNG as well.
1: Yeah, he's one of those actors who gets around a lot. I mean, they used him quite effectively in Twenty Four. He was really quite good in that, especially yeah. when you convert into President Palmer preceded him. So he was very... I like Gregory Hitson. I think he is very good at playing those, like Bill says, that slightly slimy you-don't-trust-him immediately character. I, I would argue Nora's plot is is completely irrelevant, because it's her getting through to her his son that what enables Serenity to escape at the end. So without her, Serenity doesn't go anywhere.
2: I don't know. It, it struck me as a little bit of a convenience and and almost unnecessary. I don't know.
1: Yeah, but, but it, a, it,
2: it, a, it wasn't. It was bad. It just didn't. I, I didn't feel the connection to it, and it didn't really matter to me. I didn't care if this kid felt you know like a man or not.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, but he but he he stood up to his dad, and he stood up to his father, who was you know creepy. You know you know. I want to make sure he <laughs> loses his rigidity.
1: I'm gonna stay right here and watch. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, and aura is very yeah. diplomatic when she escorts him out of the room. Yeah,
0: what are you doing? Well, this is a ceremony, and you know you don't need to be here. Basically, move along. Move what along.
1: I, I like about this one is the tone that it, it starts off that it's a pure farce. This is this is what going mad must feel like. No, yeah, this <laughs> no, is what going it's... mad must feel like. <laughs> I want to go to they the crappy singing. town where I'm a hero. <laughs> and all, all the, the opening to this one plays out like it's going to be a farcical comedy. And for the first 20 or so minutes, it is. And then suddenly it turns and becomes quite dramatic. And the ending's really quite melancholy. And I love that. I love that they change the tone of it halfway through. So that you're left with an episode that started off as being really funny. You're left thinking, oh, that was quite sad, actually. I, I said to Andrew when we watched it, I didn't remember this one having this downbeat of an ending. You remember the hero of Canton, you remember the statue, you remember Wash being like, what is going on? You remember Simon not being terribly impressed, you remember all of that about it. You don't actually remember the story. And I remember thinking this this one, when we watched it this time, that there was a lot more going on in this episode with regards to Jane's character than I would have said if I was just going off my memory of it. I was really impressed with the writing of this one. But Ben Edlund has wrote a number of episodes of Supernatural, which are normally the best ones. And he wrote the episode of Angel with the puppet, which is a classic by any measure.
2: <laughs> it was a wee puppet man.
1: You're awesome. a wee little puppet man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I, I think got, it's worth I've, mentioning how the sea plot with Book and, and River uh, does tie into it. When she she starts fixing his Bible because it doesn't make sense. And then he talks about how you have to have faith and that faith, you know, you don't fix faith, faith fixes you. And that Mm -hmm. kind of ties into the people's faith in Jane and how he, you know, how they view him as compared to reality.
0: Well, Well, I thought it was kind of saying something about her as well and that she's broken and maybe she's looking for some science mm-hmm. to fix her, her herself. But he's saying that maybe faith or family or something strong, something that isn't really tangible is what she needs to fix her.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it, it, you know, it's getting a little deeper there. And I like that.
1: I, I like that, how that's tied in as well. I do like that sometimes the only way you're going to get everybody to have something to do on a show like Firefly, which has, what, seven main characters? eight main characters is to split them up and give them different storylines.
2: It's the old so Justice all, Society of America trope.
1: Yeah, so you've got all the people <laughs> on the planet doing what they're doing, and because Ben Edlund's a good writer, what's happening with Book and, and River is thematically tied to what's going on on the planet. I thought it was a really clever piece of writing. I really liked it. I really liked this episode. Everyone remembers it because of the song, but I was, I was surprised at how strong it was in terms of how well it was written.
2: Yeah, I agree totally. I think this this is, you know, really a solid episode, and and very well written. Again, I could have done you know the A plot and the C plot would have been enough for me. I didn't really need the B plot, but that was okay. I mean, I, other
0: than the fact that it ba- it basically ties in on how they get off the planet is really yeah. All but it I think you could come it.
2: up with some other some other some other reason for that. I don't think you needed that.
0: Yeah, like the people could have stormed whatever facility was, had them landlocked or whatever, mm-hmm. smashed up transmitter, and allows them to escape.
2: And then, you know, just an interesting study a little bit into Jane's character was, you know, clearly he didn't understand why the young man sacrificed himself and jumped in front of the shotgun. But also, like, I don't think he would have stopped him from doing it either. You know, he was bothered by it. He had seemed to have like almost like a survivor's guilt about him. But but like I said, I, I I don't know. I don't know that he would have stopped the guy, you know, if it's your life or mine kind of thing. I think he would have let the guy sacrifice himself. He didn't understand it, but I don't think he would have stopped it. You know, he he is at heart a mercenary. And, well,
0: well, yeah, yeah, you're right because he right. You know, he, yeah, he probably his own life comes he'd...
2: first.
1: Yeah, well, that's kind of what he learns at the end of it, even though he doesn't really learn anything cuz the show you know, he can't really change that significantly, but he does learn something at the end of this one that there is more to what's going on than just him. It's a little bit like Han Solo's arc in Star Wars, where he's the mercenary and he looks out for himself. And then by the end of Return of the Jedi, he's got a family. Kind of had to undo that for The Force Awakens, but it's the same principle. Yeah. Yeah, and it's...
0: I think he learned he he needs to use a different type of tape if he's going to uh, tape hidden weapons on himself. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, that that scene in the sick bay is hysterical. <laughs> you had to trash my sick bay to do it, evidently.
2: Well, just the whole <laughs> yeah. the whole aspect of him. You're like, like a trained his, ape. <laughs> the whole aspect of him with his <laughs> undercover look. You know, when they're out, down on the planet and everything, him trying to to not be recognized. Not because yeah, he's, afraid he's afraid of wearing... the adulation, because he's afraid of repercussions to his prior actions. And he's afraid he's going to get on a hot, killed.
0: a hot, smelly, stinky planet, and he's wearing an oversized coat, uh, like ski goggles, and just this brown hat pulled over his head to be in disguise so that nobody – And who recognizes him? A little kid
1: little child which is just like that moment in captain america winter soldier yeah where he's in the um he's in the exhibition and he's looking at the thing about bucky and the kid sees him and he just puts his hand to his lips and the kid's like <gasps> which is a, <laughs> a really nice touch i do i love i love washing this one i think wash is just brilliant in this one when he comes back to serenity drunk and he's telling Zoe all about that, that that Jane's a hero on this world. And she just looks at Mal and says, you are powerful drunk. And Mal says, <laughs> he is that, but don't make what he's saying not true.
2: <laughs>
1: I love the way they write the dialogue in this show. I really do think it's brilliant.
2: Well, that's, I mean, I, that's, I think, part of what's earned Whedon his reputation.
1: Yeah, it's because I'm not one. Of, I don't want realistic dialogue in my entertainment. Realistic dialogues full of pauses and people talking over each other and not actually listening and repeating yourself and all of that. I, I want it to be a little bit clever. I want the people on TV to talk like I don't.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I mean there is a reality to that. I want I want to hear clever dialogue. It doesn't. It, I don't want what I don't like, and it's something I've seen and I've criticized lately is I don't like when they get clever, but everybody is equally clever in the same way.
1: The you know, Miller
2: approach. And, and, or even Brian Michael Bendis. Mm. You know, you see, everybody's everybody's got the snarky Tony Stark from uh, the movies, at you know, voice. And not everybody is that clever. In fact, very few people are. So you, you can't yeah. make everybody that way. or It just doesn't ring true.
1: It's like what we've, we've talked about before, that Badger uses words wrong.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's clever writing, because yeah, it's, it's, it's not clever. putting the same voice to him.
1: Where, and here, in this episode, Jane doesn't have the words to express himself. He's not as eloquent as Mal is. But, all, but the way the dialogue is written, that very stylized Western thing, and people have, have kind of criticized it, but it's not as simple as just adding ain't to words. There's, there's a there's a clever there's a cleverness to the dialogue, there's a very rhythmic quality to it that I think is just so endearing. I can understand how pe- some people wouldn't get into it or wouldn't like it. But it's in in rapid contrast to Buffy, whereas in Firefly, one of the things he got criticized slash praised for in Buffy was the pop culture-ness references of the dialogue. Well he said we created Firefly, so we couldn't fall back on that. He couldn't make pop culture references in Firefly because he doesn't know what the pop culture of twenty five seventeen is going to be. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Speaking of, if he he does put a pop culture reference, it has to be very, very subtle because otherwise mm. it would be unacceptable.
1: There is a little thing about this episode. I think it was this episode he wanted to have James Masters, who played Spike in Buffy, just be sat in the bar, no dialogue. (laughs) Not an appearance, just the camera passes through and Spike sat at the bar.
0: Oh, he would be—he he would be Spike.
1: Yeah, he would just <laughs>
0: because
1: uh, he's a vampire.
0: That would be interesting, and and he was a uh, a time agent or whatever on um
1: on Doc Who, so it would have worked both ways, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so he's either a time agent or he's a vampire. Either way, depends on his her color, doesn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah. A little history note, when Simon talks about, uh, he goes in a little quick discussion about mutter's milk and how it was used in ancient Egypt. It was uh, liquid bread to. Oh, for the uh, slaves. Yeah, to easily feed the slaves. And then it also had the high, the high percentage of alcohol in it to knock them out at night so that they wouldn't think of rebelling. <laughs> so basically you keep them fed and drunk and, you know.
2: I, I like every time they talked about uh,
1: I was just gonna say nothing has <laughs> changed.
2: <laughs> every every time they talked about the mutters, I kept thinking of Abbott and Costello. you, know, you, you, have, you, have, you, have, you have to eat your m mu- you have to what is it, you, you can't be a mutter unless you eat your fodder. <laughs> what do you mean you gotta eat your fodder?
0: <laughs> I was thinking of uh, Alan Sherman. Hello mutter. <laughs> hello mutter, hello fodder, here I am at Camp Renata. Life is very. I have that. I had that whole al- album as a kid. I'm not going to sing the whole song. <laughs> Take, Take me home, a motherfucker. <laughs> or maybe maybe you are going to sing it all. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. But one thing he, he they they mentioned Earth It Was, and I don't remember other than the opening any real discussion of Earth proper, and so it kind of piqued my curiosity so i i looked it up in the firefly wiki and it says earth that was was the original home of all humans duh a series of events (laughs) led to the mass exodus of earth's population the earth fleet left earth founding a new civilization in a new star system many of the facts about earth that was have been lost to the pages of history authentic earth artifacts are prize collectors items and are extremely valuable Durian Hamer, which we'll see in an upcoming episode, had a collection of ancient artifacts from the Earth that was. And Adele Niska, which I don't know if we've I we've, think seen, we've Niska, seen him. Or, yeah. Right. Also had an original Tiffany lamp. So that's really all it says about Earth that was. So everybody split the Earth. The Earth, I guess, is no longer around or no, they don't know where it is or whatever. or it's well, just a, gone.
1: The book saga cell that opens some episodes actually says when the Earth was used up.
0: Oh, that's right. That's so right. Yeah, but the
1: implication there is all resources have been mined. We have no choice but to move out into the galaxy and start terraforming. Mm.
0: But they, I guess they don't even go back, or I mean, it seems like it's just lost. And
1: yeah, you know. I, I think the implication throughout the series is that there is nothing left to go back to Earth for. Uh, you know, we've, sad. yeah, we've 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 raided Earth for everything we could. We've moved on. Hmm. and all the people that Serenity is, the the war was the the alliance decided they wanted to be the government for everything. There were some independents that fought them but lost, but these frontier worlds that Serenity visits aren't yet under alliance control.
0: It's control, yeah.
1: But yeah, I, I think the implication is that there's nothing on Earth. It's just a barren Hulk. There's nothing left of it. So you've got to wonder where we start getting horses from.
0: Um, well, they, you know, they brought them with them
1: <laughs> They've got horses on the ship Just like when they had the cows on and the ship stunk
0: <laughs> Well, I mean, if you're going to leave the Earth you got to take all the animals with you, I guess yeah. I mean, Maybe, I don't know yeah. Clone so it's, them
1: it's, Yeah, because it's something the show well, didn't really get time to go into really. Right
0: Yeah, who knows, maybe at some point They would have gone back to the Earth Who knows
1: Yeah, but at this point we'll never know
0: Maybe that'll be the reunion
1: movie. <laughs> Very possible. That they keep talking about doing. I don't think that'll happen now. I mean, I think if Netflix was going to do that, they would have done it already. Well,
2: if I think if they did it, they might try and use the model they did on Arrested Development where they do whatever it is, 13 episodes But they're not really presented as ensemble pieces. They're more presented as individuals. So if the actors sign on for it, they're not going to be in 13 episodes. They're going to be maybe in two or three each. And I don't know if that works for this show. But I think that might be the model they'd have to do if they wanted to try and get everybody on board for it. Because they have all pretty much moved on to other careers. And I don't know that they would be willing to say, oh, yeah, okay, I'll do this series as well.
1: I, th- I think it all depends, well, yeah, because, I mean, it, it depends how long Castle's going to run for, because that's currently in its eighth or ninth year. It can't have much long left. But, yeah, they're all on other shows, so they're all doing other... Alan Tudyk's just signed up for that new... Is it a D- another DC f- project? I can't remember the name of it. I think Alan Tudyk signed up for it. Obviously, Mirena Baccarin's on Gotham, Fillion's on Castle, Jewel State crops up in the most unusual of places.
2: Yes, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm i thinking that it would be difficult to get them all on board to, you know, to, to actually do a full season. Although you could get away with a shorter season as well. You could go for, you know, a 12 episode season, 10 episode season even, which might work too.
1: Oh, you do the Gilmore Girls model of do like a couple of reunion movies.
2: That That mm. to me makes the most sense. And and they could do it as big screen because they already have done that. Mm. But, again, I don't know where the series goes from here, and I don't know how open it is for more or how much I'd be looking for more. I yeah, have, and there's and, things that that Bill and, and I can't I think say
1: for fear of spoiling something for you. So there's, there's, there's things that Bill and I are holding back from saying.
2: Well, how many, we people, how many people are there going to be if we had together the, the three hosts of this show and however many people who listen to it, I have no idea. How many people are there who are in my boat who don't know what comes next? I, so can't if I, I, I wonder many. if I'm the only one.
1: Very possibly. But we the, but we really don't want to ruin the ending for
0: so. you. It, it, hey, it could happen. I mean, I'm, I still haven't watched all of uh, Breaking Bad. So there
2: you go. And you really need to. It's such a good show. Last week, I stayed home. I stayed home sick one day because uh, I had the flu, and uh, I wanted to put something on the TV because I I couldn't. I, I have a difficult time just laying down in the middle of the day and sleeping. So I, but I can put something on the TV and kind of just doze off while I'm watching it. So I didn't want to watch something where. I hadn't seen it before and I need to pay attention because then if I fall asleep, I just have to rewind it and start it over again. So I ended up watching the first six episodes of season one of Breaking Bad over again. And it's just such a good show. I still feel, it's, in my humble opinion, the best dramatic TV series that I've ever seen. Uh, I guess we're ready to rate this one. Oh,
0: oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, well, what do we do next? Uh...
1: <laughs> what do we normally do with
0: oh. this show?
2: So, Bill, it's uh, your well, show. I...
0: Okay. I am I think I'm gonna go with a four on, on, on this one. Um much like last time, but uh this one has different type of comedy. It has it has a nice little musical number in the middle, which I always like some song and dance <laughs> in my uh in my shows.
1: I did not know that about you.
0: Why why yes, I, I don't know why this has never come up. Dead. A Little song, a little dance,
2: a little seltzer down his pants.
1: A little song, a little dance, Batman's head on a lance.
2: That was uh, the, <laughs> what you call it uh, Chuckles the Clown on Mary the Mary Tyler Moore Show. They had an episode where Chuckles the Clown got killed or died and at his funeral that was the uh, I'll, you know I'll always remember him for his you know, for his clever wit. A little song, a little dance, a little seltzer down your pants. Anyway, keep going, Bill. You are both.
0: You <laughs> yeah, are a, going, Bill. You both are f- just a a, a a wealth of knowledge on TV. <laughs> yeah, and all, I all you both. on TV and movies. That's that's why we're all here. Um. Oh wait, uh, I read a piece of trivia about this. Um, Adam Baldwin swiped the head of the statue to keep for himself. But they had to go back and do a shot and I guess in like the opening shot where they look at the at the statue, they had to reattach the head and you can see the crack along the neckline.
1: (laughs) They had to do a pickup shot, did they?
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, okay. So yeah, he he liked the statue so much, you know.
1: He kept the Uh,
0: head. He kept the head. Not the
2: whole statue.
1: Would you have your own head in your living room?
2: I absolutely
1: yes oh okay. yes All right, in I, fact I would have I am... it,
2: and then I would have it so that you could tilt the head back and, and open up the secret panel and slide <laughs> down into the bat cave
1: <laughs> the Paul cave
2: it would be like the uh... William Shakespeare statue
1: <laughs> Paul slides down a pole I don't want to talk about sliding down Paul's pole
2: you, thank you <laughs> thank you for not wanting to <laughs> So uh, I'm, I'm going to even bump this up a little from you. I I thought it had all of the things you said, plus, again, I I really did find it thought provoking on how we look at our heroes. Which I really didn't that. say
0: anything, but that's okay.
2: Well, you said it had the comedy. It had the. Yeah, it
0: had the comedy. Yeah, it was. It had, it had, well, you it know, had you the had, good had
2: acting. You know, I mean, you went over some stuff, stuff and then you went off on a tangent. Stuff. So I'm pulling you back. Like I do, pull me back, Paul. <laughs> pull me back. Pull me back, please. Uh, so I, I mean, I thought it, I thought this really fired pretty much on all cylinders. Uh, you know, it, it had some action adventure to it. It had comedy. It had some thought provoking social commentary. Uh, I really just thought it was, you know, just a terrific episode. Uh, my only criticism is, like I said, I kind of felt like the B plot was almost unnecessary. So I'm going to take off the slightest bit for that and I'm going to give it a 4.5.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm going to go for a four as well. I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised by how much depth the story had once you strip away all the superficial things that people remember about this episode. Uh, it is exceptionally funny, but then halfway through it becomes something more than that and it becomes deeper. And I think Ben Edlund does a good job of tying all three of the subplots together at the end. I think he does a great job with that. So I'm going to go for a four as well.
0: Well, I guess that wraps it up for today, uh, tonight, whatever. So, Andy, what do we got?
1: You're going to have to wait a minute because I don't have a clue. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I think you you're out of, of gas,
1: mate. Oh, right.
2: I was going to say, because you're kind of out of gas.
1: Oh, no. That's, I am. I'm out of gas because I don't know what we're doing. But next time, uh, I think I can rate this one now Out of Gas by Tim Meineer. Is next time on an all new episode of Keep Flying, a Firefly podcast. Keep 'em Flying, a Firefly podcast is a two true freaks presentation and is hosted by Shepherd Bill Robinson, Paul Spataro, and Andrew Leyland. All the music and sound clips used in the show is copyright Fox Broadcasting and is available to buy on the Firefly soundtrack by Greg Edmonds. If you like to buy that soundtrack, maybe you could do it through the Amazon link that is on the tutufreaks.com website. It costs you nothing extra, but throws a few pennies in our tip jar, which helps us to continue to produce content like this. Every episode of Keep Flying is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. And remember, find a ship, find a crew, keep flying.